This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. This morning for a little while I'd like for us to study concerning the subject of Job and our admonition is to never give up. You know, a lot of times in whenever we look at Bible teaching, we have, uh, you know, we understand the importance of doctrine and, and, and sound teaching. And then there's also an importance to just encourage one another, just to let each other know, hey, we're all in this together. Don't give up. Because, you know, life can be difficult. Life can be hard. And, uh, you know, and, and we, can, we can find ourselves in circumstances that really challenge our faith. And uh, this is a lesson that I gave that, uh, in a meeting that Ben and I participated in earlier in the year and I uh, wanted to share it with you this morning. And, I'm, and uh, it's, it's been good for me to go back and to review some of the things that we're going to look at. We're going to look at Job because Job is given to us as an example of patience. And we want to talk about Job's patience this morning. And a lot of times whenever we think of Job, we think of what Job went through and we think of those great things of, of faith that he said, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not adversity. And, and we think of those statements and we see his patience, but the only thing with the book of Job is that it's not two chapters long, it's 42 chapters long. And there is a story there that sometimes we, we don't really take the time to consider because we look at the impressive response of Job up at the front. We fail to consider the struggle that he went through throughout the rest of the book. And that struggle that he went through throughout the rest of the book is just as much of, of his patience that's commended to us here as the very beginning of it. And so we're going to look at some things throughout the book of Job this morning to try to help us to understand how we can have better patience whenever we challenge our, or face with our Job experiences in life. Maybe you're going through a Job experience. Maybe your Job experience is behind you. Maybe your Job experience is in the future. But nonetheless, however it is, we want to be sure that we're equipped to understand what this patience looks like looks like. So that whenever we consider ourselves in the midst of those trials, we can have a good gauge of where we are in relationship to God and enduring this trial. And if we're talking to people who are going through their Job moments, what, are they, what do you say to them? Have you ever sat with someone that life is just squashed and you're just sitting there thinking, what do I say? What do I say? And then whenever they say things, we're thinking, ooh, ooh I'm not ready for this to equip us to be ready for those moments. And so we're going to begin in James 5 and verses 10 and 11 where James is writing to a group of people who were experience hardship, experiencing hardship and oppression in life. And he said, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job, and you've seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The first thing we want to identify are these words, patience and endurance, as we see them in this text. Now, we're not talking about patience in the sense that we go to the doctor's office and we have to sit and wait for a long time. Or that we're sitting in a traffic jam. You know, a lot of times when we think of patience, we think of those moments and instances in life. We're not talking about going to the doctor's office or sitting in traffic. But rather, we're talking about whenever life puts the pressure on us. Whenever we feel like that we're being oppressed and we feel like the world is closing in on us. How do we handle that? The first word patience that's used here 
has reference to, and I want to put some Greek words up here, but we want to focus on the definition, which means to bear injuries. And so it's not something that's pleasant. There is an unpleasant circumstance taking place. There is an injury. There is a cause for pain or for hurt in my life, and I'm going to have to bear that. The word endure that we see in verse number 11 means to stay under, to stay under trial, to persevere. And think of the term to stay under. That means that there's something on top of us pushing down. And we can look at that as the pressures that life puts on us. And rather than trying to seek to find a way out or a way of escape for a quick and easy comfort which adds no virtue and character to our life, we choose to stay under that pressure to endure that pressure to the glory of God and to the strengthening of our character and our fiber as spiritual people. And then finally, the word patience that's used here simply means endurance. And that's the point that we want to drive home this morning. That whenever we think of patience, it's not a quiet, passive, we're just going to sit around and pass the time away until this thing goes away but rather it is engaging the difficulty and fighting the battle and enduring the struggle to see it through to the glory of God and to the strengthening of our faith. Here's an example of endurance. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 3, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And the word patience there means endurance. Looking unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. So not only do we have Job as an example of endurance, we have Jesus as an example of endurance. And here the Hebrew writer speaks of endurance as running an endurance race. If you've ever seen an endurance race, that's a race where people run a long way. If you go to the starting line, everybody's just peppy. They're jumping up and down. They're stretching and they're just really, uh, you know, they're fired up and they're ready to go. And then you go to the finish line. Do they come skipping across the finish line? <laughs> Do they show that same pep and that same enthusiasm and that same vigor? No, they don't. Because that endurance race took their strength. That endurance race caused them pain. All throughout that endurance race, if you've ever run an endurance race, you're constantly in a mental battle of, do I quit or do I keep going on? And that's the picture here that Paul paints. He's not saying patience is like sitting in a doctor's office or sitting in traffic. Patience is like running a race, a long race where you hurt, you sweat, you endure pain, you endure injury, and you question whether you want to continue or not. Have you ever been in that place in your Christian life? Do I want to keep doing this? Is it worth it? That's what the writer's talking about here. And he holds up Jesus as an example of endurance. Notice, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Think about Jesus enduring the cross. That's what true endurance looks like. 
It's not something that's real nice and clean. You know, growing up, you see people of faith and you, and you have this image of them. You know, they just, they never struggle. <laughs> they just seem to be so strong that they're just always walking around. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And they've always got a smile on their face. And then all of a sudden, we encounter a struggle and then we begin to ask questions. Why me? This is not fair. And then we begin to question ourselves. Why can't I be strong like that person? And the thing that we want to highlight this morning is that what we might see in other people that looks like impeccable faith with no struggle during trial, we don't really see what goes on on the inside. We don't see what's going on in the quiet moments. We don't hear their questions. And I want us to understand that whenever we're enduring, if you're struggling during endurance, you're doing exactly what we do. We struggle. And thank God that we struggle because if you're not struggling, then you've given up the fight. The fact that we're struggling means that there's still life that we're trying to hold on to. So whenever we face struggles and we ask questions, don't feel bad about yourself. Or if you hear people who are going through difficulties and they're struggling and they're asking hard questions, don't step back and say, whoa, now I don't know about this. Because what's happening is what patient people do. Think about Jesus on the cross. Think about His agony in the garden. That His sweat was as it were great drops of blood. That as He prayed to the Father, He fell prostrate on the ground because the pressure of doing the will of the Father in that moment was so great. Jesus struggled. And on the cross, He cried out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're going to hear that again today. But Jesus, as He was on the cross and all of the sins of humanity were placed upon Him as He was paying the debt of sin, He cried out to God, God, where are you? You ever wondered that? Jesus wondered that. In Jesus' endurance, He wondered that. In Jesus' endurance, He asked that question. Let's look at Job for just a moment and consider his experience and we're going to kind of bounce through the book of Job and look at different verses to try to get a good understanding of this man who is held up to us as an example of patience. First of all, God talks about him. Whenever Satan comes to, to, uh, to God and then God presents to him, have you considered my servant Job? Notice what God says about Job. That there's nobody like him on the earth. That he's a blameless and an upright man. That he fears God and he shuns evil and he holds fast to his integrity. That's God. I'd love for God to say that about me. Wouldn't you love for God to say about you? This is the God that knows the hearts and the minds of every individual in the world. He knew the heart and the mind of Job and he says this is who Job is. There's not another like him in the world. It's like Jesus Christ, not another like Him in the world. And so we're going to look and see how this man handles struggle. He's further given 
a claim for his righteousness when the prophet Ezekiel, when he's talking about Jerusalem and the judgment that's going to come upon Jerusalem, he says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. So that's the company that Job is keeping. How would you like for your name to be listed along Noah and Daniel? I'd love that. And so we see here the high regard that God has for Job and his righteousness and his walk with God. So if there's anybody that can teach us a lesson about how to endure struggles in this world, it would be Job. And so we look at Job's first test. We know how that his wealth and his family were taken away. We know the oxen and the asses were taken by the Sabaeans and the attending servants were destroyed by the sword. His sheep and the attending servants were consumed by the fire from God. His camels were taken by the Chaldeans and the attending servants were destroyed by the sword. It wasn't good to be a servant of Job at this time. And then the sons and the daughters, they perish when the house that they were in fall in on them. And so here is this man that fears God. Here is this man who is blameless and upright in all of his ways. Here is a man who who shuns evil. Here is a man whose righteousness is acclaimed with other great righteous men of the Bible. What would we expect him to say? Well, we'd expect him to say this, wouldn't we? Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And then he said, Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. That's what I would expect Job to say. In the second test, he's vexed with his, in his health. He is smote with boils from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. So what does this man who is upright, what is this man who there's not another one like him in all of the earth, this man that fears God and shuns evil, and this guy that is as righteous with the best of them, what does he say here? Well, after his wife tells him, don't you still hold your integrity, hold fast, or do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And then he says, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. That's what I would think Job would say. A man like Job. And growing up, I used to think that Job was two chapters long. <laughs> Because we never got past this. Because that's the good news. Everybody wants to hear that. And that's the way that we want everybody to act whenever they're faced with their Job moments in life. Because Job, he worshipped God in his trial. Job expressed God's supreme rule and God's sovereignty over everything. Because that's what a man who really fears God and serves God, is going to do whenever life puts the pressure to them. But what were Job's next words? In Job chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, Job says, May the day perish on which I was born. Now wait a minute. Is this the same guy? Is this the same guy? In the night in which it was said a male child is conceived, may that day be darkness, the day that I was born. 
May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a, God set, may a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. So one day he's saying, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he says, shall we receive good and not adversity from God? In all of these things, Job did not sin. He worshiped God. He spoke of the supreme rule of God and the sovereignty of God. And now he's saying, I wish I had never been born. What happened? That doesn't sound like a man that fears God. That doesn't sound like a man who is upright in all of his ways. He cursed the day of his birth. So what happened from here to here? We don't know the amount of time that uh, expired between these two instances in Job's life. We know that for seven days his friends came and sat with him and they were just stunned at his condition and they sat in silence with him. But we don't know how long before that Job just sat by himself in his own misery after scraping the boils and the dead skin and he's sitting in, in misery and, and in a pile of dead skin with all of his wealth around him in ruins and then his friends look at him afar off and whenever they see him all they could do is go... And I'm sure that they were walking towards Job with all of these speeches in their head that they were going to give to Job and they were going to pick Job up by the bootstraps and they were going to get him going again and they were just going to fix Job in his misery. And they got there and they couldn't say a word. Have you ever been in the company of someone whose misery is so great you don't know what to say? In fact, you can't really say anything because everything you think of saying just sounds so insufficient. <clears throat> you see, when Job said this, I don't think Satan said, well, Job won this one. <laughs> Job got us. Let's move on. But while he was sitting in his misery, what, were, what would be some of the thoughts that you would have? Maybe Satan says, you know, Job, look around. You've served God all your life. And now look at what's happened to you. Look at all those people out there that don't serve God. Life seems to be pretty good for them. Why you, Job? Job, don't you think life is unfair? And as Job sits there and he marinates in his misery, you can see him begin to contemplate this. And you can see his perception change. And you can see him begin to doubt and you can see him begin to struggle so that his perspective changes from I worship God, I glorify God, to I curse the very day I was born. And this guy's our example for patience. In Job 7 and 11, Therefore I will restra not restrain my mouth, and so he became emboldened as his friends began to come and speak to him. 
And he sat in silence all of this time, and welling up within him was a bitterness and a complaint to where he says, I'm not going to restrain my mouth any longer. I'm going to speak in the anguish of my spirit. I'm going to complain in the bitterness of my soul. In Job 10 and 1, he said, my soul loathes my life. I am weary of this. I'm getting tired. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we receive good and not adversity at the hand of God? And now he's saying, God is against me. God is against me. You see how our positions and our struggles and our, our, our trials in life can have such an effect on us. And that's important for us to understand that whenever we go through our struggles, and maybe you've experienced this in your life, that there's times when you think God is against me. That the bitterness and the anguish of heart, and you just get tired of, you just get tired. I, I just don't want to live anymore. In fact, that, that was Job's sentiment. He begged for death. Lord, just take me. And this is our example of patience. <clears throat> He goes on in Job 6 and verse 4 again to give us some picture of how Job was thinking and feeling at this time. He says, For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. It's just like he was just boom, 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 being shot with arrows constantly. Everywhere he turned, there were these poison arrows that were being pointed at him and hitting him. And he says that he drinks in their poison and the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Job felt like God was against him. You ever felt that way? Has anyone else ever expressed that to you? Well, here's a man that was unlike any other man on the face of the earth. Here is a man who feared God, who shunned evil, who worshiped God, and he felt like God was against him. Job 16, 12, he said, I was at ease, but he shattered me. He also has taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. That's a very vivid picture. God comes down to Job and he gets Job by the neck and he brings him up and he just starts shaking. That's how Job felt. That's the experience that Job was having in his mind with God at this time. He has set me up for his target, that he's put me out here and his archers surround me and pierces my heart and does not pity. So he sticks him up there and then God tells all of his uh, servants, say, okay, there's Job, take your best shot at him. That's the way Job felt. And he said, he pours my, out my gall on the ground. The gall is the bile in the innermost part of our inwards. That all of this was affecting Job to that point, that his insides were just opening up and pouring out of his body was gall and bile. 19 and 11, speaking of God, he has also kindled his wrath against me and he counts me as one of his enemies. So James is telling the people then, you need to be patient. And James says, this is the example that I want you to look to. Then his friends come along. 
and they're going to fix Job. One of the things that I want us to understand in studying Job, and as I've gone through and studied it, 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 it's how to help people and how to counsel people. A lot of times when we see somebody in the condition that Job is in, we got to fix them. <laughs> I mean, they're broken. Nobody should ever say that God is his enemy. Nobody should ever think that God is doing all of this. And so we've, we've got to explain this to Job. We've got to make sure Job understands. And so his friends give him some counsel. And so here's some of the counsel that we see. Eliphaz, remember now, whoever perished being innocent, Job, <clears throat> or were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. To summarize this and the other counsel that, um, that they receive, that Eliphaz gives and his other friends give, Job, this is what happens. Bad things happen to bad people. Job, bad things are happening to you. Job, you're a bad person. You're getting what you deserve. So say Ben, he, 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 goes to, he has an extreme accident and he's laying up in the hospital and I go into Ben and he says, well, Ben, you know what? You got what you deserve. I don't know what it is, but you're a bad person. And then Ben said, Whew, boy, thanks for telling me that. I feel so much better now that I understand what's going on. How long will you speak these things? Bildad says, I left it off up there. How long will you speak these things? And the words of your mouth be like strong winds. Does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against Him, He has cast them away for your transgressions. Oh great, now I'm a terrible person and my kids are terrible too because their house fell in on them. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now He would awake for you and He would prosper you and your dwelling place. This is Bildad in Job 8. And so he's going to tell Job, here's the answer to your problem. Job, you just need to seek God more. You just need to seek Him more. And Job's probably thinking... That's all I've done all my life is seek God. Ask God yourself. He says there's nobody like me. But here's Bildad. You just need to seek God. You know, and, and, and sometimes whenever we're talking to people that are hurting and in pain and in struggle like this, we, we give, and, and that's, I mean, it's never bad advice to tell people to seek God. But we have to understand where they are. We have to understand what they're going through. And sometimes before we tell people they need to seek God, we need to take the time to try to understand what they're going through. Amen. So that when we do tell them to seek God, it'll mean something then. But if I just march right into Ben's room and say, Ben, you got what you deserve. You're doing something bad. Ben, you need to seek God. Without showing compassion without showing mercy and care, he's probably going to think, I don't need you to preach to me. You don't know me. And then Zophar, this is in Job 11, verse 4, For you have said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in your eyes. Job, you're saying you're a good guy. But oh, that God would speak. Now, if God could speak, He would tell us different. 
and open up his lips against you that he would show you the secrets of wisdom for they were doubled they would double your prudence know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquities deserve in other words Job you don't have enough kids for God to kill <laughs> so now I'm not being told you got what you deserve Job is being told, you actually got less than you deserve, Job. As miserable as it is for you, you should thank God that it's not more miserable for you than it is because that's what you deserve. Boy, these are great counselors, aren't they? In fact, that's what Job tells them. Job 16, you're miserable counselors. The smartest thing that they did in working with Job was to sit there and be quiet for seven days because once they opened their mouth, it went downhill. So here is a man in extreme misery... And the help that he's getting is no help at all. He's not getting any help from his friends. He goes on to say he's not getting any help from his family. And he's full of this bitterness and anguish and he wants to be able to talk about it. But nobody's interested in listening to him. They just want to fix him. In Job 23, Job says, I've had enough of this. And Job answered and said, Even today my complaint is bitter, my hand is listless because of my groanings. Oh, that I might find him, that I might come to his seed. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. I want to talk to God. And I want to stand before him and I want to give him my complaint. I want to present my case before him. I'm going to have my mouth full of arguments. I know exactly what I'm going to say and I'm going to lay out my case before him. And when I do, is he going to contend with me? No, he's going to take note of me. Job, I see what you're saying. See, that's what Job thought. That's what Job wanted. In Job 31, 35 to 37, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had a written book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. The prosecutor writing a book that they would write out the charges against Job. And Job says, hey, that's great. You want to do that? Do that. And I'll take that book and I'll put it on my shoulder and I'll wear it on my crown and I'll carry it in and I'll lay it out and I'll tell you why you're wrong. That's where Job was. And this is our example of patience. Have you ever felt like that? Have you even kind of felt that way? And then you feel bad for it. But understand, this is what a righteous person does whenever life puts pressure to a degree and an extent that we've never experienced before. Job 38, 1 to 4. Then the Lord answers Job. So let's stop for just a moment and see where we are. This is Job's expression. He's in bitterness. He's in anguish. He thinks God is his enemy. His friends come to tell him, Job, bad things are happening to you. Bad things happen to bad people. Therefore, you're a bad person. You just need to seek God. And Job is saying, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. That's not it. 
And then Elihu comes along. He's listened about all that he can. And so finally the young man steps up and says, okay, I've been listening to all you older people talk. I've got to speak now. And Elihu in his response says, yeah, bad things do happen to bad people. But that also sometimes bad things happen because God is trying to teach us and to save us and to turn us in the direction of His way. And so Job has heard all of this. And he's saying, I want to talk to God. I want to talk to God. And then Job, the Lord appears to Job out of the whirlwind. The whirlwind was a manifestation of God's power and God's might. Because, you know, a lot of times in our troubles, when our troubles seem to get so big, then it seems like our God seems to get so small that we think, I can tell God a few things. That God is unjust. That God is not fair. And so Job, God says to Job, Who is this man who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you'll answer me. Okay, Job, here it is. This is what you wanted. In Job 40, verses 3 to 5, Then Job answered the Lord, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed further. But Job... You were wanting this moment. You were prepared for this moment. You had all of your arguments lined up. You were going to carry the accusations in before God and lay them out and just tell God and then God's going to say, you know, Job, you're right. What happened from here to here? Job says, here's your, God says, here's your time. But Job, before you talk, let me ask you a question. And the first question he asked was, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? In other words, Job, I'm creator. You're creature. And then he just inundates Job with question after question after question that Job can't answer to help Job to know, I don't know as much as I think I did. And to help Job understand and remember back to this God that he worshipped. To this God who was supreme in his authority. To this God who was sovereign over everything. Have you ever been in those situations where you thought, you, I mean, maybe you're going to go in and talk to your boss and you've got everything lined up and you're going to go in and you're going to sit down and you're going to convince your boss as to why you're a great employee and they just need to give you a big raise. And then you sit down and then your boss just boom, boom. <laughs> and you just fold up your folder and walk out. <laughs> That's kind of what Job did here. You see, Job's struggle became so great that it, it, it worked itself to a crescendo. I'm going to talk to God. And he gets that. And then he stands before God, and God asks him a few questions. As if to say, Job, you can't even explain the basic things of life and creation, and you're going to tell me how I ought to do things? And Job did what a lot of people do. As soon as they experience the presence of God, they realize just how bad they are. 
Now, Job was an upright man, and Job spoke very highly of God, but when he stood in the presence of God, he said, I'm vile, I'm vile. What shall I answer you? Well, Job, just pull out your notebook. All those answers that you had written down, give them to him. He threw that notebook away. And he says, I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth. I've said too much. And then the Lord again answered Job out of the whirlwind. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you. You shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Are you thunder like a voice? Can you thunder with a voice like His? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? I'm right and God is wrong. And this is the patience that we're supposed to look to as an example. Now, are we saying that Job's experience gives us a license to do all of this and it's okay? No, we're not saying that. But what we are saying is that we're human. And we're in the flesh. And God understands that. And that's why whenever Job first opened up his mouth, God didn't just squash him like a bug right then. Because he knew Job. And he knew what Job was going through. And he knew that all of these things that Job was saying were things that human beings say. Because he made us. He knows And so Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do everything and that there's no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes." You see, Job had become so consumed with his misery. He had become so inundated with the false counsel of his friends trying to help him that he lost all perspective about God. And all it took was a moment for God to bring that perspective back. And whenever God brought that perspective back, Job repented in dust and in ashes. And we know how that the story concludes. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. And indeed the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all of his brothers, all of his sisters, all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. They consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. So the Lord blessed him in the end. After Job was restored in his understanding of God. Now does that mean that whenever we go through a difficulty in life, at the other side of it, we can expect double what we lost? I don't think that's the idea here. But what we can expect is something a lot more than double. (laughs) Eternal life at the resurrection. Sometimes our restoration may be in this life. Our restoration may wait till the coming of our Lord. But that restoration will be there. But we see where Job ends up. But we see the roller coaster ride that Job went on. 
And that's one of the things that we want to highlight is that endurance and patience is not pretty. Endurance and patience can be a very ugly, can be a very difficult thing. We may say things, we may think things that we don't think. Other people may say things and do things and think things that they don't normally think. But at that time when that pressure is upon us because we are flesh, that's what endurance looks like. So what are some lessons that we can learn from this in closing? Number one, the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. That's what James says in James chapter 5. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You know, whenever it seems like the Lord is against us, whenever it seems like the Lord is forsaking us, the Lord is faithfully sitting in heaven being compassionate and merciful to us. And He's watching us every step of the way. Every sigh He hears. Every tear He's affected by. Every moan, every grief touches His heart. Now in the middle of our experience, it may not seem like that. But we have to have faith and confidence that He is. One of my most favorite verses in the Bible. Psalm 103, 13 to 14. As the Father pities His children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers we're dust. He made us. He knows how we are. And so whenever Job was crying out, God, you're my enemy, he was saying, that's Job's dust talking. That's Job's dust talking. He's in the middle of a hard thing. He's going through something difficult. I'm going to be merciful and I'm going to be compassionate and I'm going to have pity on him. Those of us that have kids, that have raised kids, having pity on our children, we're aware of their weaknesses. We're aware that whenever they fall, we are aware of their struggles. And that's the way that God is towards us. And that's the way that God is towards Joe. And as parents, sometimes we let our kids struggle, don't we? To learn the lessons of discipline and character that they need to learn. But that doesn't mean that we don't love them. Sometimes it takes greater love to step back and let things go. But a lot of times we think that if God loves us, He's going to be there for the immediate rescue. What happens every, if you just rescue your kids over and over and over again? You're not mom and dad anymore. You're just somebody that gives them all they want. And if God swooped in and rescued us from every pressure of life, He wouldn't be God to us anymore. He'd just be a heavenly Santa Claus. We'd just write out a list of things that we want, shoot them up to God and expect them. But the struggles happen. So that we can learn, as Job learned, the Lord's faithful. 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. As much as it may feel like God is against us, as much as it feel like God has us by the neck and He has us up here and He's shaking us and everything, we have to understand that God is a faithful Creator. And because He's a faithful Creator, I'm going to suffer according to the will of God and commit my soul to Him. God, I don't understand why this is happening. God, I don't understand why You chose me for, to go through this. But I know You're faithful. 
And I know you're going to keep my soul and you're going to give my soul what my soul needs so I'm going to trust you and I'm going to suffer according to your will. We need to cultivate a, a faith for the day of great trial. Proverbs 24.10 If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You know, we all have a measure of strength today. And we may feel really, really strong today. I felt real strong this morning getting up, putting on this coat and this tie and packing up my satchel and walking in here all educated looking and being around great people that, that, that are, you know, that are just, you know, the best that you can be around, you know. It's real easy to feel strong and invincible right here. What happens when I get that call? What happens when that thing happens? That's the true measure of our strength. Don't be satisfied with a strength that'll get you to a church building on a Sunday morning. Because a strength that'll get you to a church building on a Sunday morning is not going to be enough strength when you go through or I go through our Job moments. When I look at my life, I feel that I have been blessed and favored by God. But I also know that my Job moment may be ahead of me. And I know that maybe the strength that I have today, when that time comes, is not going to be enough strength. And I need to cultivate faith for the day of trial. Whenever you think about your faith and building up your faith, think about your worst day and how your faith relates to your worst day. Because that's when it counts. You see, that's what happened to Job. He was told by Eliphaz, Surely you've instructed many, you've strengthened weak hands, your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you've strengthened the feeble knees, but now it comes upon you, and you're weary. He, it touches you, and you are troubled. So in other words, Job, you've been giving all these great speeches and this great counsel and this great advice to all of these people. Now it's come time for you to practice what you preach, and you can't do it. You know, we need to remember what we say to other people because what we say to other people in their Job moments could come back to us. <laughs> I remember whenever mom was sick and she was terminal and we'd sit down and we'd talk and, and we'd, I'd, I'd tell, you know, try to counsel with her and try to strengthen her and she'd always look at me and she'd say, yeah, son, but it's easier said than done. Well, Everything's easier said than done. <laughs> but it has to be said, and it has to be done. And so I'm sure that Job, you know, as I've done in talking with people and counseling people, give advice to people and give counsel to people, and then it comes time for me to practice my own advice and counsel, and it's not that easy. And so whenever we look at our trials... We need to cultivate our faith for the day of trial. And we need to expect expressions of feelings of despair and anguish in ourselves and in others in time of great suffering and address them appropriately. That's so important. That whenever we're talking to people or even looking at ourselves, that we understand the expressions of despair and anguish and how they relate to patients. 
You know, we step back, you know, you think God is your enemy? Oh, I've, I've got to fix that. I've got to explain that to you. No. Maybe just look at them and mercifully say, you know, I could understand why you would think that. If I had all of my family taken away, all of my wealth taken away, and if I was vexed from head to toe, I could perfectly understand why you would think that. Instead of trying to say, well, Job, you know why this is happening, don't you? You know, bad things happen to bad people. You, bad things are, you're a terrible person. You need to seek God. Which is going to be more helpful. Because a lot of times the expressions and the feelings that we have during our times of anguish, we don't mean them. That's just the dust crying out. Romans 8, Paul says that we groan and we travail while we live in this bondage of corruption down here. If you, if you haven't ever thought that, I want to talk with you because you're special. You're special. You see, there is a time to weep. There is a time to mourn. We're averse to weeping and mourning. If you walk up on somebody that's crying, what's one of the first things that you try to do? Try to get them to stop crying. Because <laughs> it makes us uncomfortable. If you're around people that mourn, it makes us uncomfortable. But Solomon in his wisdom in noticing how life plays out says there's a time to weep, there's a time to mourn. You know, whenever I was a school counselor, whenever a student would have a death in the family, everybody would, well, have you talked to him? Have you talked to him? What have you done for you? Know, well, no. Let them mourn. Let them mourn. If there's a concern, we'll address it. But let them mourn. Don't expect me to bring them into my office and give them a speech where they're going to walk out and start going around school smiling at everybody so that everybody else feels comfortable. Let them mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You see, Job's friends, they couldn't do that. We've got to get Job straightened out on his theology. <laughs> We've got to fix him. Just weep. Just weep. Because that's what Job wanted. Job just wanted somebody to listen to him. Just listen to me. Don't preach to me. Because while you're listening, you're building the rapport to teach later. That after they've gone through and they're sitting there thinking, then they look at you with a rational head and say, do you think God is my enemy? Comfort and strength is found in, not found in answers to all of our questions. It's found in knowing God is in control and works all things according to His plan and purpose. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. At the end of the book, what did Job or what did God explain to Job? Okay, Job, here's the deal. This is why all this happened. You see, Satan came to me and he was looking for somebody to tempt, and I just thought so much of you. I said, Hey, try Job. He's he's a good guy. I know he's gonna you know, and so Job listened, and then Job he finally Okay, all right, God, I got it, I understand now. Everything is good. No, God didn't do that. God didn't tell Job why. You see, we have the behind-the-curtain story. 
Job didn't have chapters 1 and 2 to know what was going on. God just simply, Job, I'm God. I'm the creator. You're the creature. You don't know how this world works because you don't create it. You can't even explain the simplest of things of this world to me. And so Job understood that. And that's why it is with us. Whenever we are in our Job moments, don't try to figure it out and come up with all of the answers because we're not going to know all of the answers. And if somebody claims to know all of the answers, they're being presumptuous and arrogant. And that's why you see people today, well, whenever a bad thing happens, then I've got to figure out, okay, this bad thing happened because several years ago I did this bad thing, and so this thing goes with this thing. We like to try to connect the dots where we have some sense of rationality and some sense of justice and fairness about it. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes bad things just happen because we live in a fallen world. And if we want an explanation as to why bad things, that's the explanation. We live in a fallen world. There is no fairness in this world. There is no justice in this world. We clamor for justice. We, we don't want justice because if we, if, we did, if we had justice, we wouldn't be here. This story would have been written and over with a long time ago. And so all of these cries for justice, justice begins with God. And when a people turn their back on God, there will be no justice. There will be no fairness. And as Christians, we shouldn't clamor for justice and fairness whenever the greatest blessing and benefit of our life is the mercy and compassion that's given to us. And so we're not going to have all of the answers. If somebody asks you why, if you're a comforter, just say... I don't know. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't know. And then when it's appropriate, you can explain to them some things about the sovereignty of God and how bad things happen to good people and how that all in the end, we know that it's all going to work together for good. And that's what should satisfy us in our misery. That. Not that we have all of the answers. It's not our knowledge of the situation that brings comfort. It's our faith and dependence upon God that gives the true healing in time of misery. And then finally, never give up. Never give up. Job, whew, he said some pretty strong things, didn't he? But in everything that he was saying, his focus was where? It was God. He knew God was there. And he knew that God had to be dealt with in this situation. He wasn't someone that said, well, I can never believe in a God that would do this. He didn't say that because he knew he couldn't. Because he knew God was powerful and he was going to have to be dealt with. And Job thought, I'm going to deal with him. He never turned his back on God. And so that's the way it is with us today. Wherever we are in life, whenever our moments come, yeah, we may have expressions that... You know, I'm not going to stand here today and tell you God's my enemy. Because what reason do I have to say that? But that's not to say that six, eight, ten months, a year from now, that I may not be in a situation where I'm so overcome with grief that I just think God's against me. I know that could happen. It happened to Job. It happened to Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
the two greatest examples of endurance both thought, where's God? Where's God? So I hope our lesson this morning will help you to understand your struggle, help you to understand other people's struggles as we go through our Job moments. And we have no reason to give up. As nasty and as messy as it may get, God is faithful and God will see us through to the end. I appreciate your attention and I hope that as we look at this, we have a better appreciation for the endurance of Jesus. Oh, he was the son of God, you know. It was just a cakewalk for him to the cross and, you know, no big deal. No, he was in his dust. And that's why he's a faithful high priest is that he lived in this dust. That he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he cried out to God, God, if there's another way, let there be another way. That's why he experienced agony. That's why he sweated blood. He knows. And going to the cross, because of his patience, we sit here today being blessed by the patience of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus' patience blesses us today with salvation. Your patience and my patience during time of difficulty will not only be a blessing to us, but a blessing to other people. If you're not a Christian and you want to obey the gospel, Jesus dying on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, the victory that he's claimed over sin and death. You wish to obey that gospel through baptism, the congregation here is ready to help you with that. Or if you are here and maybe something we've talked about, a word from the Lord this morning has touched your heart and you desire the prayers and the strength and the encouragement of the congregation, if we can help anyone, we'd ask you to come as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.